Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. I'm going to be talking about prohibition and the government's attempt to poison its own people. I am going to be phoning it in today with a story of the World War II ghost army. Sitting out last round, phoning it in this time. Mm -hmm. And I will be talking about the Mongol plague catapult at the siege of Kaffa. How um, the Mongols used plague-ridden corpses for biological warfare in the year 1356. Gross. Yes. <laughs> Tremendously gross. Smart, uh, but gross. But gross. Yep. That can apply to a lot of what the Mongols did. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was, when I was looking for this story, I was reading an article, I think, or like some snippet um, of how, of an instance of the Mongols, I think, using making a human table they invaded this village and put all of the people like on a giant wooden platform and put a another wooden platform on top of them and ate dinner there were they alive the people yeah oh not for long but for the start of dinner probably by like dessert or second course though they were probably probably suffocated and dead that's so fucked up. How heavy was dinner? I don't know. I didn't get. I I steered clear of this subject because I was like, oh, this is a little bit. This is a little bit too dark. All right, so let's get back to the government poisoning. <laughs> Jesus, that was a that was, that was a, a sharp right turn. <laughs> um, um, so you guys are probably familiar with prohibition. It was the 18th Amendment, mm -hmm. um, and it prohibited the manufacture, um, sale, and transport transport of alcohol, alcoholic beverages. Right. Um, and, you know, people were very worried at the time of the amendment that the United States was um, going to descend into moral decay. Um, so that's how they got it passed in the first place. And ironically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once um, alcohol manufacture and sale and transport was illegal, people just started doing the same things, but illegally. Yeah. So there's a lot of smuggling going on, a lot of bootlegging, a lot of speakeasies. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically just, like, super powerful crime syndicates were being formed um, to get people their alcohol. And the government was uh, not too pleased because they were like, oh, I thought we were going to make everyone super moral. But but we didn't. It's Come on, more guys. crime now. Come on, we had a deal. Well, guys, you're missing the point. Yeah. We would take something you want and give nothing in return. And that makes you better. It's like you're not even trying. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so initially, most of the bootlegged alcohol was actually just smuggled in from Canada and other countries. Um, but as the government started enforcing prohibition more, they, they um, cracked down on the smuggling. So what was a crime syndicate to do but to work at um, taking industrial, stealing industrial alcohol and converting it into the kind that people drink. Um, so industrial alcohol is stuff that's used in like paint and um, solvents and things like that. Um, and usually it is made of methyl alcohol, which is not, um, not really the drinking one. It's the one that makes you go blind. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Um, or it's made of uh, grain alcohol with a little bit of methyl alcohol added into it. Mm, um, so that it makes it go blind. That wasn't why they added it. They actually added that to, um, or it wasn't initially why <laughs> <laughs> So it was initially added into this um, industrial alcohol um, so that the people who used this alcohol could avoid a tax, basically. Um, I believe it was 1906 they started... Um, putting things into industrial alcohol that would make it so that people wouldn't drink it to avoid this alcoholic beverage tax. Mm -hmm. um, so our ingenious um, 
criminal syndicates would just steal this industrial alcohol and hire scientists to redistill chemists to redistill this alcohol to get it into a drinkable form. And uh, you know the U.S. government didn't like this either. Um, I think by I believe it was by 1926. Um, it was 600 million gallons of industrial alcohol was being stolen uh, to be converted into this drinking alcohol. So adding the methyl alcohol was a process that already existed to get away from this tax and to distinguish it between drinking alcohol and industrial alcohol. But um, when people started distilling it to make it drinking alcohol, the government started mandating that even higher percentages of methyl alcohol and other additives needed to be put in. Um, and it was very explicit that this was to make anyone who drank it sick, to discourage them from drinking um, bootlegged industrial alcohol that was then distilled. Um, and uh, as you could imagine, this uh, upset people and also didn't lead to anyone not bootlegging anymore. <laughs> it didn't have any of the intended effect of... Um, like scaring people into not using the illicit alcohol trade mm. at all. Uh, um, so the process of adding these things to industrial alcohol was called denaturing, which mm -hmm. is a little confusing because that's also a... Way of making alcohol. Yeah, it, I don't know. I found the terminology weird, mm -hmm. but that's what it's called. Um, and by the mid by mid-1927, new denaturing formulas... Um, included a lot of different poisons, and I'll just rattle a few of them off for you. Uh, kerosene. Ooh. Um, lamp oil. Mm -hmm. Drugine. I definitely wrote that one wrong and pronounced it weird. Drugine? D-R-U-C-I-N-E. Drucine? That sounds right. Or maybe brucine. I wrote both a B and a D on top of each other. I, I like brucine. Can we please can I vote that we enter into into the record brucine? Brucine. Sure. Brucine. Brucine. Okay. Uh, gasoline, mm -hmm. benzene, cadmium, iodine, zinc, mercury salts, nicotine, ether, formaldehyde, chloroform, camphor, carbolic acid, quinine, and acetone. So they basically just unrolled cigarettes into uh, alcohol. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, and then methyl alcohol which was the most um, deadly of all their additives. Mm. Um, some of the government regulations encouraged adding up to 10% of the entire thing to be methyl alcohol. Um, and that was the one that was really responsible for the most uh, deaths and injuries resulting from, uh, from these additives. Seems dangerous to put that additive in with uh, nicotine, which is, isn't that super addictive? Addictive, so. Not to mention, it's a stimulant. So you got the stimulant and the depressant together, and it's addictive. Uh, so you're just, it's just a little heart attack bundle. Yeah, it's, it's just insane. Just yeah. so crazy. But it keeps you coming back for more. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's part of the problem. Mm. Yeah. So. Oh, no, it's, uh, it's part of a solution, technically. Mm. Ah, chemistry, <laughs> chemistry jokes. jokes. <laughs> Sorry, I should save that for chemistrynismo. <laughs> well, so actually, they um, they called the um, the crime syndicate scientists who would distill this industrial alcohol. They called this the chemist war of prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so much cooler than what it actually was. Uh, it sounds like somebody just mixing up some beakers and throwing them at, at like a goose. Yeah, I said a goose. Well, yeah, why a goose? Because <laughs> it's important to deny people uh, their their food supply in a war. Mm -hmm. All's fair in chemical war. Yes. Mm. I don't oh, agree with that. No. But I... I said it, and then I immediately regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> so in December of 1922, the New York Times reported that um, five people had died um, on Christmas mm -hmm. related to poisoned alcohol. Oh. Um, but by 1926... Just couldn't stay away from that eggnog. I guess not. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just very upset at the government for You're doing right. this. I shouldn't be making light of this. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fine. Make light <laughs> of it. Let us learn from the past. Santa put some lumps of coal in Daddy's alcohol. <laughs> uh, it's not Santa, though. It's... <laughs> And like, like, watch as I take off my red cap, and underneath it is emerging a full top hat with the, with the old flag on it. That's right, Santa's been Uncle Sam the whole time. Oh, God, guys.
I want you to drink poison. And in 1926, on the, I think it was the day after Christmas, um, the first person to come into the hospital on that day from alcohol-related poison, poisoned alcohol stuff came in hallucinating that Santa was chasing him with a baseball bat. And the nurses tried to calm him down. Before they could do that, he died from poisoned alcohol. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, he didn't die of alcohol poisoning. He died of poisoned alcohol. Like, this is so sad. And in 1926, uh, it was reported that 750 New Yorkers died from poisoned alcohol. And thousands more were injured with blindness or paralysis. And the government knew this wasn't working. They knew poisoning this alcohol was not deterring people. And yet they, they just... still in- encouraged industry to put all of these additives in. Like, it's insane. Just kept on poisoning. You know, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like poisoning your citizens. Um, yes. So in the 1970s... <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> the government again, wanted to discourage the use of marijuana. Uh So they decided that they were going to spray Mexican marijuana fields with um, paraquat, which is an herbicide. Mm -hmm. So the main purpose of this was to kill the crops. But a side effect is that paraquat is also a toxin. Mm -hmm. Um, So part of their argument for doing this would be we would kill the crops and also um, discourage people from smoking marijuana because they would be deterred by the thought of toxins in in whatever they're smoking. Luckily, they didn't actually spray it because there was a significant backlash and, you know, people apparently cared that the government not poison people by this time. Well, you know, social change happens slowly. Uh, but it's just the 70s. That oh, wasn't that long ago. It's not a long and the time. government still wanted to poison stuff to deter people from doing things. Like, what? Oof. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, so one of the biggest people um, speaking out against this practice of adding poison additives mm-hmm. was um, Charles Norris. He was the New York City chief medical examiner. And he's the reason why I was able to list off all of those additives, because he and his lab um, took all the confiscated whiskey that the city had and tested it to see what was inside. Mm-hmm. So they knew all of those things. And he was also... Um, he would publicize anytime someone died from poisoned alcohol, and he would like distribute pamphlets to people warning about it. Um, so he was really a, uh, a public health and you know human decency crusader. Um, Sounds like a good man. Yeah, yeah, he seemed great. So these additives also, some of them, their purpose was to make the alcohol taste bad, mm-hmm. but which that I can get behind adding to make things not taste bad. Sure, but it's, it's like things... getting a kid to stop sucking their thumb by making it taste bad. Yeah. And, you know, whereas what the uh, what the government had been doing was make, getting a kid to stop sucking their thumb by poisoning it. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just insane. Uh, the more I was reading about this, the more I was like, why was this a strategy that people approved who, of? Who proposed this? Who was like, yes, poisoning people. That's what the U.S. government should do. Now, in the the couple articles I read, it never pointed to a particular lawmaker. Mm. Um, But it did say that when lawmakers would oppose this, others would say that there was like a general sense of higher purpose and like ends justify the means kind of thing. Um, And that anyone who said that they were opposed to the poisoning were then accused of being cahoots with the criminals and other lawbreakers. Well, we wouldn't want people to be in cahoots with people. We want people to have their opposition to killing other people come from a bad place. Mm-hmm. So the government never officially ended their their poisoning practices. They just... Um, Poison to this day. Just prohibition was lifted in 1933. Oh. And uh, the poisoning stopped once people could get alcohol legally. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it also disproportionately affected the poor, because uh, the people who were rich could afford better, better quality yeah. bootleg alcohol. Yeah. So this is a real downer, guys. Yeah. But I thought it would be worth discussing, because I think there was a meme going around. Not a meme. One of, the, one of those pictures with words. That's a meme. Meme, I guess. 
Um, or a caption image? Caption image. There was a yeah. caption image going around the internet several months ago about this. Poisoning alcohol? Yeah. And it was, what uh, was the image? you know, true to the most... Hold on. No, um, what do you... What, no, what do you think the image was for this? A meme? Yes. About poisoning alcohol? About poisoning alcohol. About poisoning alcohol and prohibition. What was the image there? Um, I'm trying to think of the... I think it's probably bad advice, Duck. Yeah, yeah. I was... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> citizens drinking illegally? You should poison them. I'm thinking it's that one of just like the the bad idea guy who's like, "We want to do this. Ah, this is the solution." I have no idea yeah. who that. They can't. They can't get drunk like illegally that. if they're dead. Oh. Oh. What is the name of that guy? I know the guy you're talking about. Um. Uh, no, this one wasn't a. It wasn't actually a meme meme it was a picture i believe the picture was of um whiskey barrels with holes in them and mm-hmm. then it was like being drained into the ground or something like that and then it just had like the big text at the top and the bottom gotcha um i typed in hold on i have to draw this up <laughs> i typed in uh bad idea meme and this was the first one that showed up so this is a picture of two men dressed in a zebra costume, being attacked by two lionesses. And uh, the caption says, this was a bad idea. I agree. I agree. I agree as well. So interestingly, during Prohibition, um, the uh, UK was going through a grain shortage. Hmm. But they uh, were still brewing beer, because it was, it was uh, for the, the troops' morale and for their home, home, uh, home office's morale for people at home. You know, it was good for morale to have a good glass of British beer. Um... And so the U.S. would refuse to ship grain to them because they would use it to make alcohol. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I wonder... I wish I looked up more into, like, why Prohibition started and why America was all like, I'm on my high horse. There are a, a large number of reasons. A lot of the uh, big Prohibition activists were women's right gr- rights groups mm-hmm. because a lot of uh, men would get drunk and beat their wives. Ah. And they couldn't address the uh, issue of domestic abuse at the time because that was taboo to talk about. But they could address alcohol mm. as, uh, as a reason. Especially because it had been preached against for so long as part of, like, the Bible and, old, and, and uh, religion. So they, they, it, was a, it was a route to that. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can sympathize with that, mm-hmm. definitely. Um. Yeah. Um. And there were, like, there were myriad other reasons, but, like, that was a large move behind it. Um, so, yeah, I can't, like, be that mad at Prohibition as, like, a concept because of that. Yeah. But uh, at the same execution, time... Execution, not so great. Not so great execution. What would be a fun way to smuggle Ooh. alcohol? Uh, I would... So, we've talked about geese already today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, geese migrate already. We don't need to make me geese migrate. Oh, They're they already migrating. Canada. They go to Canada, right? Yeah. Geese go up to Canada. In Canada, they make the liquor. And you strap a bottle of wine on the underneath to every goose, or, or whiskey, what have you, and you strap it underneath their, their, you know, their tummy, but not so that they, the, the wings are bound. And they they fly back. And then once when they land, oh, there's there's a goose pond here in the, in the isolated woods where the geese always stop. Oh, what's that? Oh, we've drugged the goose pond with just mild sedatives. So the goose take a little nap, you unstrap the bottle, you get it back off, and uh, send the goose on their way unharmed. In this situation, it sounds like Canada is just literally just giving away alcohol and just being like... When the geese migrate back up, they've got a little a single dollar bill tucked underneath each wing. That's a good price. Yeah. yeah. That'd be adorable. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, you could have... Um, when, when you wanted a new order... You could uh, tie a little note to um, to, the, to the the goose's foot, and you could end it with "Put it on my bell." That's good. That's good. The only problem that I see with this is that it takes um, the length of a migratory path mm-hmm. to get your orders. But it's undetectable. <laughs> you just hear like a bunch of clinking noises in the sky. <laughs> oh, that's the Canada geese. See a bunch of drunk geese uh, in. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, McMurphy looks up, and there's this clinking coming from outside. There's like, Canada drinkers flying south for the winter. I can't help but point out, though, that if you have a um, an entire lake full of mild sedatives, yeah. it's very likely that you are also giving the local populace sedatives. <laughs> and we're back to poisoning our people. Ah, it always I'm ends just... up... You know, I can see how the how U.S. Senate got to poisoning people, because it just always ends up back there. Yeah, it's... 
funny how that happens. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. Uh, you're right. Um, I would just employ an army of little old men and little old ladies with sedative breadcrumbs. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and then you get old people out of the house forming social connections. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too strenuous. No. I think this is good for they society. They get a little shopping cart full of bottles back, and they can say, oh, I'm disposing of these. But then they come to them under the bridge where they sell them to you, and you like give them some money, and they can spend it on like pictures of their kids, um, uh, boat cruises. <laughs> how, how would you smuggle stuff, Noel? been thinking about that, and I have... Nothing that tops an idea of cuteness as far as little old people tossing little little tiny sedative pills to... Oh, but what if one of them befriends the geese? He's just got a bunch of sleepy geese on his arms. <laughs> I'm taking you home, Mr. Honkers, and I'm, I'm tucking you into this old unused crib that I would have had if I'd ever had children. <laughs> I would have introduced a series of uh, water mattresses, water beds, mm-hmm. for children. Yep. That were filled with alcohol. It couldn't just be regular water for whatever sterilization, or that, that might very well be true. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually just straight water in those things. I'm imagining that there's some sort of. You just uh... fill them up with water, you get them empty. Oh, okay. You literally fill them up like with a hose. Yeah, so yeah. ours would be uh, pre filled, <laughs> super heavy, but then as your children grow up and they need bigger beds, oh, they get more mattresses. So, and these would be thick mattresses too, like three feet high. Thick, comfortable mattresses, but pretty much they get thinner and thinner as you drink more. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, people are like, "Oh, are people drinking the liquid in the mattress?" Like, no, it's just over time it evaporates. The child, the pressure causes a little tiny leak, so a little evaporation. Mm-hmm. So, literally, just selling tanks of alcohol to people with families so- and them using their children to. To keep purchasing more and more. So here's the fatal flaw I see in that, Noel. <laughs> oh, oh, just the one. What if the kid wets the bed? Then you got a, pee, a bunch of pee in your alcohol. No, no, no. It's almost like a valve. You open it on the side. Yeah, to, they don't sleep straw. in the mattress. <laughs> they're not what submerged the in the into the bed. <laughs> they're not being pickled. <laughs> what, we're not doing a minority report here where the children just like float face up and report <laughs> crimes? That was not part of my scenario. I've okay, never well. seen that movie. It sounds weird. <laughs> uh, also, if the kids, like, peed into the alcohol, that sounds like the least the amount least of things worries. to worry about is floating in your alcohol. Is sterilized urine. You know, a lot of people say urine's sterile. It's only if it doesn't touch it on the way out. What? <laughs> <laughs> If urine is sterile, it's sterile on the inside, and then once it gets out, if it touches your leg or any of your genitals, it's probably no longer sterile. And if the kid's peeing on himself in his sleep, it's like in his pants, on his legs. It's picking up a lot of germs on the way out. Yeah. And that kid's drunk, so that's that urine is (laughs) that urine is not healthy. Uh so anyway, my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Anacropismo. <laughs> My plan is that Canada mm-hmm. um, starts a marketing campaign for their maple syrup. Okay. Which people already like Canadian maple syrup. Everyone loves Canada and maple syrup that they so make. People start ordering more and more maple syrup. Mm. But all of these novelty uh, maple leaf shaped jars are actually decanters full of whiskey. I or see. whatever alcohol you choose, as long as it can be dyed to resemble. Maple syrup. I think they would check that at, at customs. Well, they're not going to open a sealed container at customs. And you make sure you have a couple real maple so syrup ones on top. So prohibition like took place, and all of a sudden, just the orders of Canadian maple syrup just went up by ten thousand, like a magnitude of ten thousand. That's why Canada started their their increase their marketing campaign beforehand so justifiably they're just taking over a new market in the United States but what about the people who are taken in by that marketing campaign and actually want Canadian maple syrup and they just get alcohol instead yeah and they're pouring whiskey on their pancakes and it's getting all soggy <laughs> they're like boy this syrup is awful thin well time to drive to work <laughs> um then they probably can just switch to Vermont ooh that's kind of unfair to the syrup drinkers. They didn't do anything wrong, and yet they're getting punished. 
Also, uh, uh, mine is the most realistic so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. poo pooing all over. <laughs> I believe it was pee peeing all over. Oh, it's a good plan, I'll grant you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll stop you there. <laughs> uh, no, you, you can say the criticism. No, I'm done. Okay. It's a good plan. I win. <laughs> but you know what? I feel like I already used Canada in my plan, <laughs> and, and you're kind of ripping me off there. Canada's the number one smuggle location. Okay. How about we combine our three plans? <laughs> Goose. Covered in syrup. <laughs> Whoa, these mattresses the are bed. full of sedative <laughs> water. Yeah, mattresses full of goose down, right? Goose have been drinking alcohol up in Canada all year, right? Mm-hmm. And then you you squeeze the goose down out, uh, and it's it's alcohol, and you smuggle the mattresses inside maple syrup containers <laughs> to hide the smell. It seems like less trouble to just distill industrial alcohol. <laughs> Sure, if you, sure if you want to get realistic about it. Uh, we're not talking about how to distill things. We're talking about how to smuggle it, Jackie. Right, right, right. My mistake. Uh, you just have to do a very complicated filtration system. You've got to really distill to, that goose down to get the feathers out of it. Uh, like you'd probably have to distill it out of these feathers, right? Just squeeze it. Just wring it out. Just wring it out. But if you want to get all your drops out. You probably want to raise the temperature so it evaporates and then condenses down again. And that's just distilling. Rat dicks. I think you're right. (laughs) I think that's a good spot to move on. (laughs) Uh, So speaking of long cons. Well, this was a relatively short con. But, um, yes, the Ghost Army, which was a military division... In World War II, but unlike many other military divisions, this was not composed of soldiers. It was composed of... uh, Ghosts. Ghosts. Geese. Ghosts of geese. Chemists. Waterbeds. Sorry. (laughs) Maple syrup containers. I have lost Canadians. Okay. Methyl alcohol. No, I had a list. Geese on sedatives. Just a really sleepy geese. <laughs> and their their commander's a, a nice old lady. <laughs> Canada's promised us 30,000 troops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're sleeping on their own feathers. Um, No, but unlike most military divisions that are made up out of soldiers and people with you know military experience and training and commanders, this was... Pretty much composed of artists, actors, audio technicians, and designers. So pretty much just like a whole theater company. A whole 1,100-person theater company that was there with the sole purpose of just creating elaborate uh, misinformation and um, and illusions and just, uh, just trying to confuse the uh, German military. Um, the old rat. The Eiffel Tower disappeared. <laughs> Give him the old razzle death. If you can figure out how we did it, you win the war. <laughs> You'll never you get it. You just very slowly rotated us. All right, we have to Damn. go. <laughs> and that day they signed the, <laughs> the, tra- the Treaty of Versailles. Uh. Um. So, yeah, what they would do is that this entire division called the Ghost Army, I want you to show them, I want to show you the badge. The cutest bit. It's a ghost shooting lightning out of its hands. But also, the lightning also kind of looks like like a marionette kind of thing, like pulling the strings. Is what I thought. It's not a scary ghost either. No, it's so cute. It's a goofy ghost. (laughs) Yeah, so that was great. That was their insignia, and their yeah, their entire um, um, their entire mission was just to create a number of deception, of which they numbered about twenty. Of to uh, just confuse the German military about troop locations and plans and stuff. So they um, they broke it up uh, into several different components. The first is that they had a bunch of inflatable tanks. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, they had a bunch of like inflatable, like literally tanks and jeeps and airplanes, like all just military uh, craft that they would inflate. And the artists would paint, like, copies of the insignias of real, like, units that were deployed. And they would do a crappy job of camouflaging them in, like, certain fields or locations. So when 
German airplanes would go overhead, they would look down and they would see like these, um, they even went as far as like creating like fake airfields too. <laughs> and so they thought like that was where their militaries like, per- like they were supplying or like getting ready to move, like move from or hold position to. I hope and- this is the origin of those like Christmas lawn, lawn ornaments <laughs> that are just like giant inflatable snowmen. And we need like- to disguise the numbers of our real snowman army. <laughs> But it's probably the same technology to make an inflatable tank as to make a giant snow globe with oh, Snoopy yeah. in the middle. <laughs> that would have been amazing if they had run out of the tanks. <laughs> My god, they've got a Snoopy. Pete the Peanuts gang is gathering in Versailles. <laughs> um, yeah, so they would um yeah, they would just create these like dummy, pretty much military bases out of inflatable equipment and they could do it in apparently just a few hours to create one, so that um so that was one of the ways they did it. The second is that they um, they used uh, sound uh, tricks as well. They pretty much, I think, in one of the in Fort Knox, they um, recorded a bunch of sound of like armored and military units moving, and um, they took those recordings and they shipped them overseas, and they put those like absolutely like giant speakers on trucks. And would just blast the sound of military movements, like troops marching, uh, trucks, and like tanks that you could hear. Apparently, like I read two different sources. One said nine miles, and another said as much as like fifteen miles away. Damn, you would hear the sounds of troop mobility, even though there was nothing, nothing but open fields and actors. It's very good. Yup. I feel like this is a way to get a DOD DOD grant for the arts. <laughs> yeah yeah it they like i would include this in my grant proposal well wait till there's not even like this is this stuff is pretty cool there's two more to go through and the last one is absolutely amazing because this is where the actors come in yes. <laughs> uh because yeah. right now this has been pretty much the set designers and the uh the the uh technicians and stuff but they also did um through the use of radio, they um, learned how to mimic, or they were kind of like taught how to mimic the um, Morse code tapping, or like some of the signals used like by the actual uh, radio personnel in mm-hmm. the military, um, just to be able to like make a very convincing, like fake. I I didn't get a chance to read into this as much as I wanted to, but it sounded like um, there okay. were very distinct ways, even in using morse code um that like would stand out to people trying to listen in mm-hmm. would they have what a bunch of actors saying beep 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 beep, beep, beep. <laughs> sorry they're, they're british beep 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 beep, beep. no beep, these beep. were americans oh beep beep oh but no they had to imitate british people beep 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 <laughs> uh, no but i know what you mean like each morse code operator has a distinctive signature of how they tap and time things mm-hmm. yeah because um, you know the most famous one always started with shaving a haircut and then did his thing. <laughs> beep, 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 um, But the last one was the coolest ones. Um, so the last piece is where the actors came in. Um, because the, you know, making the military bases for the, uh, like, spy planes to see over is cool. The audio is amazing. I looked, just saw it in one of the other articles. The speakers that they used to play that sound were 500 pound speakers just loaded on the back of military trucks um and so the radio is cool but the actors they were so cool they were so cool um so in a lot of the cases that uh these uh with the help of the artists and the division they would uh make um duplicate uh insignias of different um of different i guess units or troops um and they would deploy themselves like uh in a number of different areas doing different things. Like they had, um, like military police at crossroads. They had, um, one of the things I liked is that they would occasionally get a real truck from the military, like a troop transport truck. And they would just put two people in the back (laughs) to, uh, make it and just like drive around in huge circles, like from town to town. But, uh, rather than having like a full, uh, like a full convoy of troops it was just two actors in the back so they would just simulate it's like oh my god all these troops are moving through what's going on it was just six actors <laughs> just be like oh, guys stop stepping on my toes it's so crowded in here stop it hey why don't you just stop hey, what, what do you think of those guys in the back oh they're jerks yeah 
hey, what do you think of those guys in the front? I hate those guys. <laughs> but the last part that was really cool is that some of the actors would actually get uh, made up and dressed up like uh, key uh, military figures, like uh, commanders and stuff. And they would be just brazenly seen, like, walking around towns, and they would get, like, drunk at restaurants and talk about what their plans were. <laughs> and just, like, not a super open way, but enough that, like, word could get around. I was kind of but... hoping it would be, like, a super open way, but like, you know, I, General Patton, am planning to storm the small town of Roof. Tomorrow with five thousand troops. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to. See, I didn't find any listing of the any uh, famous generals or officers, but apparently there's a. There are several documentaries and a big book on this, and I think I might try to read and watch those. I will absolutely watch that documentary with you. Yeah, because yeah, it great. sounds so cool. Wait, do you know the name? So our, our listeners can watch. Oh along yes, with us. the uh, uh, let's see. Um, well, apparently, Bradley Cooper is going to be in the, a film dedicated to this ghost army. Ooh, um, Bradley Cooper. And then let me uh, pull up. I think there is a PBS documentary. And then there is a, uh, where I saw the, there was a book and um, another, I think, documentary coming out was at ghostarmy.com. Right. I will definitely check that out. Oh, sorry, ghostarmy.org. Oh. Okay. Almost misled everyone. <laughs> Next, what depressing thing are you going to talk about? Oh, we weren't going to do a hypothetical. Hypothetical? Oh, sorry. Oh, we are if at you forty-seven were minutes. Trying now. to fool Hitler, what would you have done to dress up? I'd dress up like Lady Hitler, and like do one of those sexy dances and try and lure him into uh, into a, uh, a, a like a big box with a stick under, holding it up, and then yank away the stick. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, wait! Hold on a second. Like Bugs Bunny would. Yeah, but in this case, you're dressing up like uh, a female version of Hitler to seduce Hitler yep. into walking into a box. Yep. So why did you choose to dress up like a female version of Hitler to seduce Hitler? Wouldn't Hitler be intrigued? Yeah. He'd I mean, maybe be intrigued, but that's the thing. I don't think okay. he'd be seduced. Take a second. Imagine your female opposite, just like you, but a lady. Or just like you, but a dude. I, I think, yeah, I'd be cautious more so than like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but like, look at that seductive female gnoll dancing under a weird uh, lopsided box. <laughs> this is everything I've dreamed about. Uh, wow, right in front of, Na of Jackie then, too. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. Uh... <laughs> I would, uh, I would dress up like a dog, because Hitler loved dogs. <laughs> and I would lure him under a big upturned box, <laughs> and I would yank away the stick and trap him in the box, and then I would ship him to jail. I think that dog is trying to seduce me. <laughs> what would you do? My idea is so crazy. I think I would make an inflatable version of a city and put it exactly right next to the other city just mm. like mirror image kind of mm. and then convince the townspeople to all move into the inflatable version mm -hmm. and then pop it <laughs> I wasn't going to pop it but I think pop it would it. just create such like a sense of eeriness that they'd be like I don't want to mess with this mm -hmm. I surrender do a th full three amigos and uh, set up uh, an inflatable town right in front of the real town so that when uh, the army comes to attack the, the real town, they attack the inflatable town instead, and you ambush them. Wait, is that what happens in Three Amigos? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. It sounds or weird. Is that, is that Three Amigos? Yeah, that's Three Amigos. No, Three Amigos, they have everyone dressed up like the Three Amigos. I'm thinking of um, the Mel, Mel Brooks movie, Blazing Saddles. Oh, that yeah. one I have seen. Yeah. And perhaps this has subconsciously influenced me. Because I cannot <laughs> remember the movie at all, but I know I have seen it. Yeah, they build a whole fake rock ridge. Yeah. If you had made an inflatable city, though, like in like in France that the Germans would have invaded, they're right in the middle of the town, and then you pop it, and it just inflates like down on them like a castle, and like, like an inflatable castle when they lose their air, and then boom, you've captured an entire army. And it's covered in poisoned alcohol. Mm -hmm. So they all, they all drink it and they go blind. And sleepy geese. <laughs> <laughs> so they have something to sleep on.
when they go blind. Yeah, like, how freaked out would you just be if you walked into this abandoned town square on, like, really squishy <laughs> stone walkways, and you get in the middle, and there's just a bunch of sleeping geese, and you're just like... <laughs> we have to go. We have to go. Why did we go deeper into this in the first place? <laughs> Did the geese set this up? Are we in a goose dream? Uh, I love it. So, speaking of besieging places, uh, my story is about the Mongol horde besieging the city of Kaffa. That's C-A-F-F-A, which is now Feodosija, Ukraine, um, which, uh, which was a place. <laughs> um... So Kaffa was established by Genoa in 1266 by an agreement with the Khan of the Golden Horde. Uh, and it was the main port for the great Genoese, Genoese merchant ships, which connected there to uh, their coastal shipping industry to Tana, which is now Azov, Russia, on the Don River. So they traded, like, spices and various things through this big shipping port. Are these port. different Genoas than the ones in Italy? Sa- same Genoa. Oh. Yeah, and I think it's Switzerland, maybe? Let's check. Genoa is the capital. Uh, it's Italy, yep. So, it's uh, yeah, it's this Italian capital, so trading between Russia and Italy and the uh, Middle East and the Far East. It's pretty far. Yeah. I'm impressed for 1,200. Right? Uh, no, they, they, they did a lot of cool stuff. Um, and uh, Probably did take a whole migratory season of geese to get things. Oh, it, at least. Yeah, I know we're talking like months and years here. Yeah. Um, uh, so, relations between Italian traders and the Mongols that were hosting them were not great, and... A lot, of, a lot of relations broke down over various periods. In 1307, Toktai, Khan of the Golden Horde, arrested the Italian residents of Sarai and besieged Kaffa, uh, which was apparently caused by Toktai's displeasure at the Italian trade in Turkic slaves, mm. um, who were t- uh, kidnapped and sold to be soldiers. The Genoese then resisted for a year, and in 1308 set fire to their city and abandoned it. Mm. In 1312, they were allowed to come back in and rebuild the city. Um, after uh, Toktai died. His successor, Ozbek, welcomed them back and gave them land in perpetuity. Uh, and by the 1340s, Kaffa was a thriving city, a big merchant port, heavily fortified within two concentric walls. The inner wall enclosed 6,000 houses and the outer wall 11,000. The city's population was pretty cosmopolitan. There were Genoese, Venetian, Greeks, Armenians, Jews, Mongols, and Turkic people all living there in semi-harmony. So it was a pretty nice place, and it was very prosperous and thriving, because this was around when Venice was the big trading port of, um, of Europe for spices. Uh, and so a lot of custom went through there, uh, bringing spices back and forth. And, that, and they, since they were able to trade at a lower price because they were closer... They had a pretty good profit margin because they were able to buy at a pretty low at a pretty low markup from the sources, then sell it on to the Venetians when they came there, and then the Venetians would take it home and sell it at an even higher markup. Mm. People were making up to like uh, 100 to 120 percent profit off of spice trade at mm-hmm. the time. So thriving city. Mm-hmm. So in 1343, though, the Mongols under Janabeg besieged Kaffa and the Italian enclave uh, after a brawl between the Italians and Muslims in the town of Tana. Uh, the, the merchants in Tana fled to Kaffa uh, and hold up there under siege. Um, it lasted until thir- February of 1344 when it was lifted after an Italian relief force killed 15,000 Mongol troops and destroyed their siege machines. Um, they came back in 1345 and besieged them again. Uh, but And this is the point that I'm going to talk about. So that this is all just background up for this point. Okay. Yeah. Can you remind me who was being sieged? City of Kaffa. The whole thing. The whole city. All the cosmopolitan people in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. By the Mongols. Okay. Yeah. Um, this time out of vengeance, basically. Okay. So, um, they were there for three years besieging Kaffa. Um, they call the poop piling up. There was poop piling up, in fact. And because <laughs> Sorry, of this poop <laughs> piling up, and because they had their food shipped to them, and all sorts of stuff, the Mongols came down with a pretty bad case Black Plague, uh, which uh, devastated their army. Um, most of our knowledge about the 1345 siege uh, comes from one the account of one Gabriel de Musi, who was a notary from the town of Piacenza, which was over the mountains from Caffa, and he interviewed survivors of the siege. Mm-hmm. 
So, he is not a fan of the Mongols, and he describes, spends a lot of time in his account saying some pretty bad shit. We'll skip over that. Um, so, Mongols were struck by the plague, which really, like, destroyed their siege effort, because, uh, and Gabriel describes it as such. <clears throat> but behold, the whole army was affected by a disease which overran the Tartars and killed thousands upon thousands every day. It was as though arrows were raining down from heaven to strike and crush the Tartars' arrogance. All medical advice and attention was useless. The Tartars died as soon as the signs of disease appeared on their bodies. Swellings in the armpit or groin caused by coagulating humors, followed by a putrid fever. The dying Tartars, stunned and stupefied by the immensity of the disaster brought about by the disease, and realizing that they had no hope of escape, lost interest in the siege. But they ordered corpses to be placed in catapults and lobbed into the city in the hope that the intolerable stench would kill everyone inside. What seemed like mountains of dead were thrown into the city, and the Christians could not hide or flee or escape from them. Sidebar, not just Christians living in Kaffa. This guy was pretty racist. <laughs> Although they dumped as many of the bodies as they could into the sea. And soon the rotting corpses tainted the air and poisoned the water supply, and the stench was so overwhelming that hardly one in several thousand was in a position to flee the remains of the Tartar army. Moreover, one infected man could carry the poison to others, and infect people in places with disease by look alone. No one knew, or could discover, a means of defense. Yep. So, the Mongols put their, their plague corpses in catapults and threw them over the city walls to spread the plague to that city. And they, then they packed up and left? Yeah, because uh, the thing about breaking a siege is that you can really get fucked up by the losses you take by them attacking your retreating, uh, your retreating flank. Oh, yeah. got it. So by inflicting the plague on the city, they ensured that they would not be able to be attacked effectively because they'd be too busy dealing with the same plague. Mm-hmm. Just a, a real big, well, I guess I'm fucked, but so are you now. So had the Black Plague re- I. Had that reached any other part of Europe at this point, or so, was this the first introduction of it into <clears throat> Eastern Europe? So the Black Plague was in Europe already because of a lot of trading and, and uh, things with all over the world, right? Yeah. Um, and it came mostly on rats and on their fleas and things. Um, but this did not help. This was an- yet another vector for that disease to spread. It's likely that the Mongols contracted the disease from one of their trading partners in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, but... By using it as a weapon of war, and then the people who fled the siege on the losing side and on the winning side, I guess they're both losing sides, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, spread it even further. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Modern researchers think that, uh, it's, it's, that there were two vectors in play. One, bodies. Splashing bodies. They probably used the stinkiest, grossest bodies, because it would make, uh, be a more, like, morale-effective weapon. Yeah. But then rats would eat those bodies and, and get the plague and spread it by their fleas and transfer it even further. A merry, vicious cycle. Pretty much. Mm. Um, yeah, that's it. It's a pretty short story. Gross and smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to think the U.S. government would use this strategy hundreds of years later to... <laughs> Throwing corpses covered in black plague into tanks of alcohol. No, I just mean spitefully trying to win a losing battle. Oof. So, I actually do have a, uh, a segment from, from this, though, that I thought would be fun to do. Uh, so, we did this segment uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple shows ago, well, when Jackie did, brought it in. Uh, and we finally we talked over the break and we decided on a name for it, right, guys? And it was. What did they wear? Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Mongolian armor. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so Mongolian armor drew its influence from, like, Chinese and Middle Eastern styles, and it was mostly, like, scale and laminate armor. So um, the Mongols were, like, a horse army. They, they rode horses. They did, like, uh, cavalry tactics. They were horse archers. They needed a lot of freedom of movement. Um, so their armor was made of, like, hardened leather and iron on a fabric backing. Uh, which is usually like made of silk. It had to, yeah, it had to be light enough that when they rode, it didn't interfere with their mobility. Um, so you wouldn't see like a Mongol wearing mail, but you'd see them wearing like these like uh, these cloth shirts with like 
leather scales all over mm. them that would like catch and deflect arrows. Because when you're riding on a horse and like shooting and shooting, like you don't generally have to worry that much about like swords. Yeah. <laughs> they you'd usually remove arm protection, so they would have like just bare arms so they could effectively use their bows. Um, and their helmets were usually made of uh, iron and leather together with like an iron cap and then leather like ear flaps mm. and like neck flaps to protect their neck and head. Um, yeah. And uh, it's there's a myth that Genghis Khan issued his horsemen with silk vests to because uh, silk uh, an arrow hitting silk doesn't break it but ends up embedded in the flesh wrapped in silk, allowing the arrow to remove by like teasing the silk open. But that's bullshit. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> not right. That's yeah, that's not that's just wrong. <laughs> yeah. How strong was silk? Silk's, silk's pretty strong. Silk like wet silk won't rip, kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, spiders make it out of their butts, and it's, like, as strong as steel beams. New strategy. Yeah. Cover yourself in tiny little cuts to get your silk all wet. Uh-huh. And then when you get hit by an arrow, it won't rip. Plus, and your wounds out. would already have started to heal. Yeah. yeah. Before Styli- you get new ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stylish red polka dot silk, too. Though it does eventually become brown polka dot silk. Mm-hmm. 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 Or you can just wet yourself first. <laughs> you can wet yourself and put your silk armor into a bed, and then wring out the... Oh, I didn't even mean peeing <laughs> on yourself. I just meant, yeah. like, wet the silk. Oh. I thought you were talking about peeing yourself. Yeah, I realized it came as out. As long as it doesn't touch your leg and hits that silk, it's like, that Like will keep all any wounds, like, just clean. Because yeah. <laughs> that silk is sterile, and that pee is sterile. <laughs> Boy, if that sign's gonna hold up though, and they massacre that army, it's like it's like they pissed on cloth and then draped it over themselves, <laughs> and they wore nothing else, and we just we killed them. And a great stench arose from the army, <laughs> spreading disease wherever it went. Not if there was urine soaked. Urine smells, no. No, but it wouldn't be diseased. Oh, you're right. <laughs> they could have cured their plague. <laughs> Or at least kept it some, from spreading. Mm-hmm. If only they'd known. If only they tried peeing on each other. <laughs> um, while we're in a what would they wear segment, I just want to confirm that the Ghost Army did not wear inflatable fake military clothes, <laughs> although that would have been amazing. They, <laughs> I, <laughs> all depictions of them are in standard uh, standard military uniforms, so uh, surpluses. Guns, and... But their guns were definitely inflatable, and they just shouted, Bang! <laughs> I want, like, some of those people to just be wearing, like, um, leftover costumes from, like, the last production of Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> They're like, we couldn't find an army uniform, but... Or if it's, like, they only had, like, like the only surplus they had were, like, old Civil War uniforms. Like, <laughs> uh... Uh, we've, uh... We've only got 30 Nutcracker outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, what's our sugar home fairy reserve? We need flying units. Yeah, that'd be amazing if they just had whatever they like. If Bradley Cooper weren't making a movie about this, the movie I would make is that when they go to recruit the the actors and stuff, that they're just in the costume pieces that they're fr- like from their individual plays that they got like kind of recruited right after their performance. <laughs> rat King, you're at the head of, the, of it. Uh, you, the Germans, like giant rats. They had giant rats. <laughs> we didn't know the technology was this advanced. Giant rats that can lift a whole tank. <laughs> We're doomed. <laughs> oh, they're super strong, and they've got the intelligence of men. And, and they probably s- carry the plane. <laughs> and they're so good on their toes, too. <laughs> Nimble, graceful rats. Swinging tanks as though they were baseball bats. And then, like, the army generals, like, the decoy generals start going to them, like, getting drones, like, yeah, we got an army of giant rats. <laughs> you know, the real trick is keeping them all fed with giant cheese. Because the thing is, like, no one would believe either story until both, like, the, set, like, the intelligence agency gets both of these reports from, like, <laughs> different sources. And they're like, my guts. And then the Nazis will will spend even more money on their money wasting occult research. <laughs> they have to they have to they have to close the rat gap. <laughs> uh, well, that's gonna do it for us this yeah, week. So. I don't think we're gonna top uh, Rat Kings. <laughs> um, uh, if you like the show, uh, please 
Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Anac Podcast. That's A N A C Podcast. Uh, or you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group um, and homes that we live in, but we were not telling you what those are. <laughs> if you pinpoint us from the ambient noise on these recordings, <laughs> I'll be impressed yeah. and worried. Well, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time here on Anachronismo. Well, we've got a little bit of time. Should we? Uh, should we have a full discussion about Jackie's pie that she made the other week that I was texting you about? Oh yes, please. <laughs> should we actually have this on air? Let's, let's let's air this out. Let's air out this grievance. Okay. So, um... I'm... Hold on. Welcome to the Anachronismo mini-sode called What's Going On With Jackie's Pie? So, um, I was home for a week, um, on a vacation helping, helping my mom out at her house, and, um, I come back, and Jackie had baked a delicious pie, mm-hmm. and I tasted it, and it tasted really good and i can't remember the exact phrasing but i was like what is this pie made of and jackie uh said like i had just driven back that day so jackie said like oh did you drive by max's house and i said no and she gave me a significant look (laughs) and um said that she had uh then elaborated to say that she had cooked you into a pie for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Jackie confirmed deny? Confirm. Mm-hmm. Confirm. So Noel then texted me saying, uh, Noel, do you want to do a dramatic reading of this? Uh, yes. Um, now, my only question is, should we read the other person's Yes, yeah, read the other person's parts. <laughs> Max, straight up, you taste delicious. Not going to pull my... Not going to pull any strings or punches on this one. Delicious. I knew this day would come. How did you find out? How could I not? Jackie wouldn't let me leave the house until I had some. Well, this is horrifying. Smiley face, smiley face, meat, smiley face. Blame Jackie. Where did you even get my flesh? IDK, I was out of town. When I got back, she said she made a pie out of you. Actually, that's not 100% true. I asked what flavor it was. And she asked me if I had parked near your house and seen you. I said no, and she gave me a significant look. Tell her that I will haunt her, or I will haunt you both with terrible farts. Just a terrible toot ghost. Every time you let one slip, I'm there, baby! My final revenge! Asper the fartly ghost! <laughs> hmm. Probably not gonna text all that. I'll just take one. So then. And I got toot ghosts. <laughs> yeah, so and that. I thought it was really cute. <laughs> so yeah, then the uh, then yeah, a few days later, um I just texted Jackie, um let me pull it up. Just a terrible toot ghost. Max Kreisky. And Jackie said, "What?" And I said, "I told Max about you making him into the pie, and he told me to tell you a long multi-text valve revenge as a farty ghost." And Jackie's response was so our farts are him as a ghost? <laughs> it delighted me. <laughs> That's right. It's me. Every time. Lingering in the air. Uh, um, and if you email at knackpodcast at gmail, I can send you the recipe. <laughs> uh, step one. Find and kill Max. <laughs> oh, how we, How did you tell me? You told me the way that you got all of like the his hair off. <laughs> Tonight? Yeah, you said you did some. I forget what you said. Oh, yeah. You told me what cooking method you did to remove the hair so it didn't get into the pot. No, it was the skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you ever? Um... Oh, what's the term? When you want to get the skin off a tomato, so you score it and then you blanching. You score the tomato skin and then you put it in a boiling pot of water for only thirty seconds and you pull it out. And you rinse it under cold water, and then the skin comes right off. And that's what I told Nolan to do. She blanched you, Max. (laughs) Well, 
There are less dignified ways to go. <laughs> you were already dead. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what I really prefer to be Duad. What is Duad? Well, it's like blanching, but more southern, and you have to rely more oh. on the kindness of strangers. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what you're referencing. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's a streetcar named Desire. Okay. <laughs> it's Blanche Dubois. Yep. Okay, I knew that was a name. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't figure it. Yeah, really great theatrical. So you relied on the kindness of stranger, and you wound up being blanched and made into a pie. Yep. It tasted good. Yeah. It tasted really good. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Is there any any of my meat pie left, or? It was sweet potato. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> a fucking sweet potato pie. That's, That's what not... we always say about you, Max. Oh, what a sweet potato! Every time you leave, mm-hmm. well, it's very savory for a sweet potato pie. That's me. I'm a savory boy. Well, I'm gonna isolate that. Sound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've got that coming. If I ever take over editing for Anachronismo at any point, I, I will. Mix in, I'm a savory boy in every episode at an opportune moment. <laughs> Max, I'm a savory boy, Kreisky. <laughs> uh, 